Hello and welcome back to the Palace Way podcast, where today I am joined by journalist Luke Weiser Seychelles. How you doing, mate? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Excited to talk about Palace. Can't wait. How are you doing? Doing good, um, until I remember um, the news that came through this morning, uh, which everyone, of course, will have in their minds. Michael Elise and his release clause. What have you heard? So it looks like from everyone we're hearing that he has a release clause now, which is crazy, bearing in mind what we heard months ago by now, 35 million. We were just talking before about TalkSport coming out with possibly it's not a release clause, but clubs can still spend 35 million on him or something like that. So yeah, it's crazy. Basically, no one knows. No one realistically knows. And we might just have to wait until, you know, Elise actually gets sold to find out what's actually going on there. Yeah, it's a really weird situation because I think back in October post Southampton, um, Matt Wisdom came out and said that the release clause had been removed. Um, and David Ornstein said we were negotiating a contract with him to uh, remove that um, clause a couple of weeks prior. So it all sort of checked out. And it's taken the Athletic until now um, to like unconfirm what they'd said. Uh, now saying yet again that he does have a release clause. Um, Fabrizio Romano, of course, um, said he had the release clause, which sort of prompted the discussion again. Darren Ambrose said on um, TalkSport Radio that he'd spoken to someone at the club and categorically stated that Elise didn't have a release clause of £35 million. So um, it's a bit of a mess. No one really knows what's going on. Um, So it kind of leads me to ask the question, how do you feel about sort of the transparency that we get as Crystal Palace fans? You know, I feel like we're a club that doesn't disclose as much information and we also don't um, have as much interest in us as a sort of smaller team. So how do you feel sort of supporting Palace as a team that gets less um, compared to other fans? Yeah, well, look, if you look at the global fan bases of lots of teams in the Premier League, Crystal Palace ain't going to be up there. So it's actually a bit of a positive and a bit of a negative because teams like Arsenal, Spurs, they're probably getting 10 transfer links a day and probably about 20% of them are right. So it's happy we don't have that. But at the end of the day, we want to know more about the club. We want to know more in depth. And to be honest, typically Matt Wissenham is good at it. He's really good. He knows all the inners and outs. And to be honest, I probably don't blame him on this situation. He's clearly only run something when he's been told it by a source who has been right in the past. I think it just shows actually that how few people know about the Elise deal that even he possibly got this wrong. But even so, we saw the City report for the Athletic coming out with something a little bit different, saying City don't want to spend £50 for him. So it's really interesting. Obviously, I wish there was more out there about Palace, as I said, the in-depths. But also, it's quite nice to work in silence. You see other teams get beaten by competition for players. Maybe it doesn't happen as much for Palace, which complete guesswork there. But yeah, you know. Oh, absolutely. But um, I know it's it's weird because the Athletic um, is, of course, a first-rate news organization for football. You know, everyone kind of believes they're the go-to place um, for for reliable football news. So this um, inconsistency is a little bit alarming. I'm not fully sold on it. Uh, I think it's almost certain that he has definitely had a release clause at some point uh, for £35 million. And I think we probably negotiated it uh, in some way. Um, I think originally it didn't activate until last summer anyway. Um, And then they negotiated it. Um, Apparently it was upwards of £50 is what I heard. But now that apparently wasn't true. So I've got no idea. 
uh, what's going on? A lot of speculation um, and not much content there. So we can't do much other than just wait and see what happens with Michael Elise, uh, which makes us feel very powerless. But um, that kind of brings us on to how could we cope with the loss of Michael Elise? How would you feel about that for 35 million? Well, look, it's profit at the end of the day. He's one of them players who we knew probably the moment we got him that he's going to be moving on. The whole point of the project now is that these top players are going to be moving on for us. No matter how much we don't want that to happen, we have to accept that if we want to push on, we need money. We splashed the cash ridiculously badly, even though it worked for us. We get big wages in the past, big money spent on big players that probably wasn't worth that amount. We were stressed at the time of getting relegated and it's come to bite us. And now we've got to kind of recoup that. So look, I'll take the 35 million simply because we only spent 8 million on him. But look, it's definitely we're getting robbed. It's a liability. It's it's poor, but you know if that was the only way we're going to sign him, and we had them two seasons with him, I'm pretty happy. Well, couldn't you say it's also a trend of poor poor management? You know, we've just lost Wilfred Zaha on a free, which was kind of a special case. It was inevitable, and we wanted to keep onto him for as long as possible. But um, you know, Elise looks like he's going to leave for a fee that, although it was good to agree at the time, in this current market is probably half his actual value what we would get from without a release clause yeah um and you know Eberé Eze has reportedly turned down or is not interested in signing a um contract extension at Palace um it kind of feels like we're losing the players that made our club so exciting to follow um the franchise players if you will um and yeah we had our time with them but it just feels like a real missed opportunity to me because we had all these exciting players and we didn't back up that um, initial squad with further investment to make them want to stay. Like, look at what Brighton did, you know. Um, they brought in a Stupinian um, as a replacement for Kukurea after losing him. Whilst in our case, we lost one Bataka back in 2019 and we replaced him with the player he replaced being Joel Ward. Yeah, no, I do I do agree with you to a bit. Obviously, I wish we could have got more or we could get more for Elise. But, you know, I do agree with you on aspects there. Maybe the whole sell-on clause why do we have that for every player that we think is going to do well I know it might help us with the fee at the start but mm. look it's clearly restricting us in multiple situations even if we we're able to sell on wealth we would have had to give what 10% to Man United um, which yeah. when he was getting his contract lower and lower it was going to be worse for us so you know there is a bit of this ambition where look we need to sell we're happy to give you 20% for this player uh, take it, please. We'll p- only pay you 18 mil for Gahey, but you can get 20% for our future sales. That's not going to always work for us. We mm. need to kind of stamp our foot down a bit. Yeah, we're getting decent players lately, but we can't just push over, do what other clubs are doing, either demand high fees or, or you know, when it comes to it, don't get that player if they're demanding too much, move on to the next one. The whole point of this project is we have a whole list of players that are able to come in for when other players depart. So, look, if someone like... Or do we? Well, well, I'm hoping. And to be fair, it's been proven lately it's been all right. Obviously, I'm only going off a year or two, so I really couldn't tell you. But let's mm. um, let's say the club are saying this is their plan because that's what they're doing. They're saying we've got this whole ambitious project we can sell to buy and it can just be a whole shopping list, basically. If they've got that, then why have they got these 20% clauses on it? Don't help us at all. Just move on to the next player. 
We signed Mark Gay to be our first choice centre-back, despite him having no Premier League football. Uh, he wasn't going to get game time at Chelsea, so we weren't willing to spend upwards of £20 million on him. So we included the sell-on clause as a way of satisfying Chelsea so that they knew um, that they would still get something out of it, despite losing him at a lower fee. Uh, and it's a similar thing with Franca, right? You know, we've... Is it a 20% sell-on as well on that one? I think that one's a bit better. That one's shown a bit of an initiative because it's 20% on from the 20 mil so it's got to go to 20 mil and then yeah. it's only 20 percent there so that's definitely better so we're learning we're now we're now focusing on um percentage of profit rather than percentage of revenue yeah um which is good the match clause on gay's contract also is a little bit weird because i don't think it really means anything yeah sometimes you just gotta fit in whatever they want like you know the franca ballon d'Or one like yeah obviously yeah. the two clubs clearly rating but that's a crazy clause to put into a contract mm. See, France is a weird one because we just dropped, you know, upwards of, potentially upwards of £20 million on a player who, according to an expert in Brazilian football, won't be a starter for us um, and isn't a direct replacement for Wilfred Zaha, who's an incredibly influential player. That cannot be understated for us. Um, that's just left the club after 10 years. So I'm really concerned now because we've signed Jefferson Lerma um, on a free, which really good transfer. Um and Matthias Franca, who doesn't seem to be the left wing first team replacement that you would have expected for a twenty million pound fee. So if we're as tight on cash as is being reported, how are we gonna fill those gaps? Mate, mate got no clue. Also bringing Zaha up tear tear guided about that. But yeah, we, we don't know. We don't know what we're gonna do. We've obviously had players or positions that we definitely need to sort out, and we've both or we've all been saying this for years now. Right back's been an issue. We tried to do striker; it's still an issue. Arguably, last season we had two centre mids less than we did the season before, up until January. So mm. you know, we're just—I don't know. It's just annoying because you feel like we're not far away from something really good here at Palace. Yeah, something that we haven't seen for decades you know performing consistently top half or whatever but we're just not going to get it because for some reason we just don't want to get the extra one or two players that may help our seasons and when you've got Roy Hodgson coming out asking for players it's not good it's not good mm. well you could argue that every manager is always going to want a new crop of players but in our situation it does feel with Hodgson like yeah. we need yeah, you know, investment, having lost our captain, our vice captain, our best player in history, and potentially our most talented youngster. Um, it's a scary position to be in, but I have faith in Douglas Freeman above all, all else. <laughs> um, you know, I think that man can whip up some pretty exciting transfers. We saw it with Edward um, late on in the 2021 window, right? No one really saw that coming. Um, so that was that was an example of how we can't act later in the windows. I'm going to, you're spot on touching on sort of this idea that we're always a few players away from a great squad. Um, you know, in 2017-18, Roy, Roy came in, we lost our first seven games and he had an incredible season after coming in. You know, we had this back line of what became Van Arnholt, Sacco, Tompkins, Wambasaka, which at that time was a top eight centre-back uh, and full-back sort of combination in the league, I think. Um but we had a really um, weak midfield once Kabai left, and we never really replaced him. Um, you know, we lost Loftus-Cheek after that loan. 
Um, Benteke was in awful form. We didn't sign another striker for three years other than Jordan Ayew, who kind of became a winger. It always felt like we were a few steps away from greatness. And then, obviously, in 2021 and 2022, we built this really strong team with Zaha, Elise, Eze, Decore, Gay, Anderson. Mitchell was in top form, at least in 2021. Um, but we never invested in a right-back. And the thing with the right-back situation for me is it kind of feels like not spending until you have to. Um, I don't know if you agree with me, but Joel Ward um, is still, I think, in my opinion, passable Premier League right-back. He brings some things to the table that not many right-backs do. But he is always getting older, and he's just simply not the quality that Juan Bissaka was. And once you've had a taste of that, you know... In order for our club to actually progress, not to stay the same, but progress, we do need to replace him. Uh, and we haven't done that. So it, that, for me, is a sign of a lack of ambition. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? Like, you can look at our fullbacks, and they're the prime example. We haven't spent money on either position in years. I think left back was Van Arnold, mm-hmm. right back was Martin Kelly, perhaps. I don't know. But, you yeah. know, it's not good enough. And Klein. Again, it was that thing of we're bringing someone back who we know we like. He may do a bit of a job for us, but again, it was a risk. He had an injury history issue, and Joel Ward's definitely worth being in the squad still. He's got captain material. He's been through it all with us. He can be a leader. He can be that experienced head for some of the younger players in this squad. We need that. I understand that. And he can come into certain games maybe and thrive, you know? It's not like he's Mm. horrendous. We have He performed well, not in all the games, but he performed well defensively in the game some of the games he did play last season so he's definitely there and you can't look you can't just buy two players from every position you have to accept some of the squad depth you have at this level but yeah just not happy about it when the game's evolving so much and arguably the right and left backs have become so important especially for like yeah. the top six clubs we need to adapt to the game and we need to be ambitious and bring and get uh, fullbacks who know the modern game but also we have a really talented academy when it comes to producing fullbacks as well. So I feel like we're hesitant to spend big on a modern fullback when we've got players like Teo Adramola, Vontae Williams uh, at the left-back position coming up. Uh, and on the right-back perspective, we've got Caden Rodney, essentially Danny Imre, and this uh, 17-year-old Caleb Kapora who just scored um, mm. for our 21s. Um, so I think maybe um, there is like a... Uh, there's like a tactic in there, maybe, uh, about trying to preserve money where possible. I'm not sure. Um, but it feels maybe we're waiting for something that will never come. I don't I don't want to be too pessimistic. But. No, I get, I get what you mean. It's a bit like that, I think, with this team and the club as a whole. Like, we don't want to sign too many players because obviously there's this financial fair play risk, but we're trying to build a stadium and we kind of want to hold on, try and get that revenue in and maybe we can build after that. It is a bit of that. I feel like that's the same with the Youth Academy. We're waiting to hope there are these youth products. But I think we've also got to remember at the end of the day, a small percentage of players actually make it academy players mm-hmm. into the Premier League. And we've seen a couple of Palace, what, Wambasaka and Mitchell over the last decade. I may be, like, I'm talking about consistently getting involved in the team. So, you know, you've got to give it a few years. But to do that, you do need to think about the current state of the squad. And if it's poor and you can't rely on your fullbacks from the academy, you do have to bring someone in, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. Talking about sort of our youth players, um, 
at the fullback position makes me sort of wonder how familiar are you with our under 21s that i try to keep an eye as much as possible and do try and go to the odd game when it's at Sellhurst or whatever or watch it and look there's definitely some promising players in that team for me there's possibly two who could break in this season and for me i'd probably say it's david ozo and raksaki but then again yeah I kind of would prefer them to get loaned out and play consistent first-team football in the physicality of the EFL, to be honest, and see how they do. Yeah, man, because, you know, Roy Hodgson, I don't think he holds, like, a grudge against using youth players at all. I think that um, that label's kind of unfairly put on him because if you look at the difference in quality between the academy players that he had the first time round, right, you know, Brandon Pierrick's now um, in the National League South, he just didn't have the quality of youth players that we now have. You know, Jason Lokilo is God knows where. Those are the players that he was working with. Um, but then Vieira wasn't much different. You know, he had Raksaki and he gave him 70 minutes of Premier League football. Yeah, it's, it's a real weird one, man. Like, as I said before, these academy players, a lot of them won't be ready now and it will take some time. And that's why I think, like, Raksaki getting into the championship would be ideal for me. I know people are saying we don't have a lot of cover, but realistically, if I want these youth prospects to flourish for us in the future, I really think it's important that they get consistent game time so we can actually judge them, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, Raksaki is a player with extremely high potential, scoring 15 goals at sort of 19, 20 in League One. It's really admirable, especially for your first season in professional football. Um, you know, he adapted really well to that league. He's gotten bigger. Um, his finish has gotten cleaner. You know, he, he used to scuff a lot of shots, uh, and he's gotten better at that. He is exceptional in tight spaces. You know, the way Raksaki kind of twists and turns between sort of left-back and centre-back before cutting onto his left is exceptional. Um... You know, he's not an Elise-type player at all. He's much closer to sort of Wilf. But um, although he may not have Wilf's natural pace that he had at that age, he's got, um, I think, a quicker change of direction in the box, um, which helps him get in more dangerous positions. So Raksaki is definitely one to look out for. I think loaning him out is the best option. Um, you know, once Elise's back from fitness, provided we don't sell Elise, of course. But if Elise does stay this summer by some miracle... Um, I would like to see Raksaki go out on loan, rumoured to Leicester, um, because a promotion challenge in the championship is exactly the kind of thing you want to see for a young player, you know, familiarising himself with players who are, you know, just about Premier League quality, um, good sort of experience mentally if they do get promoted right, you know, you've got that challenge, you've got that quality, and you've got that mindset that comes with success, you know. Um, we saw that after the 21s won... Um, promotion you know they all seem to learn loads from that experience yeah yeah it's, he's this he's a special one isn't he we think he's going to be the next possible Zaha you never know it's what we Poor dream guy. he would be <laughs> but um yeah I just That's think a tough label it, it, it is it is but you know I'm sure he's someone who could possibly under the pressure thrive to be honest based on how he was mm. playing for Charlton and People are saying it'd be good for him to get some game time at us, but what, 
10 minutes a match maybe max when games mm. are dying out how's that going to help a young player who's going to then have to play more consistently for the under 21s or under 23s where he's known yeah. to just completely destroy the division it just doesn't help development at all and the yeah. fact that we have to talk about possibly keeping him in the squad again just moves us back to the ambition of the club at the moment and the squad depth it's just not good enough we need to let these yeah. players come in when we're kind of at our highs you know we don't want them to deal with pressure of a possible relegation battle you know we don't need that we need them to be able to slowly integrate in my opinion yeah it's a really tough situation um for jazz i think because that's one of the positions where we're weakest you know we've only got michael elise i don't think jordan are is a passable right wing option anymore um you know, he just doesn't offer enough going forward. Raksaki just would be better than him in that department, I think. Um, although, in terms of end product, maybe not in terms of all-round game, of course. I was a more complete player. But, you know, you if I were Raksaki, I'd be hoping I'd be given a chance. And it just looks like we're keeping him there for emergencies. Yeah. Um, and it's a similar sort of situation to Jack Wells Morrison. Yeah. Um, who reportedly has interest from uh, League One and the Championship. Um He's the captain of our 21s plays in the midfield. And we don't seem to be willing to let him out on loan, despite the fact he's getting to that age where you really want him to be getting that kind of level of uh, loan football. Um, and that's that's concerning to me because, you know, he's a Palace fan through and through. You really want to see him do well for us. Um, and if we're holding back his development because we've not invested properly, that is a terrifying signal to be sent out to our young players who have joined our academy because it is now category one and we're claiming to be sort of the hotspot of young talent in London, you know. David Ozo is another one that you touched on. Incredible player, incredibly high potential. I am, you know, probably his, I'm one of his biggest fans. <laughs> um, he's extremely all-rounded, but he only made one cameo appearance last season despite being by far our best player in the 21s. Yeah, he, it, look, he looks really good. He looks really young. He's got top potential as we doesn't said doesn't look that young he's six foot four 18 oh, sorry i'm oh, sorry yeah i mean he is really young not that he looks <laughs> like he's an absolute unit but yeah we've got him and if stuff like wells morrison not being allowed out is actually true then to me it doesn't make sense because at the end of the day right wing i know uh that's right saki i'm talking about right wing we're going to be ahamada or are you mm. most likely Ahmad is a weird one though, isn't it? Because well, you got to expect <sighs> Roy's going to trust like trust him more than Raksaki, I believe, at this current time. Yeah, but time. he's a box of box centre mid. I know, you know naturally. So Don't really it frustrates me as well, man. It frustrates me as well because I think he's going to be a good centre mid for us. But then again, centre mid, you got Schlupp, Riderwild <laughs> again, Ahmada, who arguably Roy Hodgson's going to trust more than Wells Morrison. So why are you denying him alone? I don't know if I believe them ones, to be honest. I'm horrified that you've just said Jeffrey Schlapp and Jaro Riedewald as our options, man. I'm it's saying the ones Hodgson would pick up. I don't want to say anything on their quality. <laughs> Thing is, last season, I was one of Jeff Schlapp's defenders at times. Like, I think he and Jordan Ayew in combination brought the work rate and pressing that we lost from Conor Gallagher. But as the season went on, Jeff Schlupp seemed to lose a lot of that energy, get lazier, stop tracking his man. And over the summer, he's put on quite a bit of weight, um, to put it <laughs> frankly. You know, it, it feels it feels disrespectful to highlight, you know, he's a professional. He's a professional footballer, obviously in much better shape than me. But I'm going to revert to that. He's a professional footballer. He should be 
in a condition where he's um, ready to play competitively in the Premier League. And I'm not convinced that he's up to speed. You know, he didn't play the first couple of games in preseason. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was linked to it. Yeah, no, it is a weird one. And I think under the era, towards the end, that was shocking. And then he turned over a complete new leaf under Roy. And I think that was the first time I've ever properly witnessed players down in their tools for an older manager and then coming back in and being rejuvenated for a new one. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. It's going to be an interesting one wherever our youth players Mm. go. And hopefully they're all going to shine for us, to be honest, in the future. In that case, I'm going to ask you a tough question. Um, Matt B, who do you think is going to be our breakout star this season uh, of our academy sort of pool of talent? Okay, of the academy, God, I don't know, man. I really don't know because I think most of Well, I'm going to save Raksaki for now. I think he'll stay if we don't get anyone in, but, you know, you never know. Transfer deadline day is coming around and that's Steve Parrish's favourite day of the year. So <laughs> we'll see what happens there. What about you? Who are you thinking? I really want to say David Ozo because yeah. for some reason I just don't think he's going to go out on loan. Uh, mm. I just can't see us loaning him out right now. There hasn't been many rumours about it. Um, I know some teams are interested but we kept on to him last year when it was rumoured. Um, and I think the fact he's sort of on the fringe of our first team squad, he is one of those players that we could see in cup competitions this season. Yeah, true, yeah. true, because we know Roy Hodgson's not going to really go with his strong squad in them, as we've seen in the past, so exactly, if, if you're going to see them come in, it is going to be them cup games, so you've yeah. got to hope we get a lower league side that these players can actually be given their chance if they aren't loaned out this summer. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people highlighting um, the Irish players, you know, Killian Phillips, Jake O'Brien, um, but the truth is David Ozo is at the same level, if not better than them whilst being three, four years younger, which yeah. is an insane um, thing to me that David Ozov is just 18. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous watching him in that um, cup final the under-23s played in against PSV. Mm-hmm. Just, looked, just looked a touch above the rest on the pitch, apart from Ragsaki. Yep. Uh, I don't really have much hope for Barmer, I think, the centre-back, um, and yeah. a few of the other midfielders but yeah when you watch that game and I know it's against fellow youth players but yeah for me Ozo just looked like an absolute rock in that middle of the pitch yeah you know without sort of uh, lingering on David Ozo for too much I just want to explain why I'm such a fan of him to those who maybe don't watch our academy um, he is an extremely complete um, central midfielder uh, he played earlier in his career um, like more further forward he played sort of as an attacking midfielder and as he's matured and he's gotten huge, you know, compared to the rest of his age group, he's six foot four. Um, physically, he outclasses everyone else um, in the midfield that I've seen him come up against in that age bracket. Um, uh, but his domination isn't solely because of his physicality. You know, he's so well-rounded um, due to that experience playing for, further forward, but he's also adept at intercepting the ball. He can make powerful tackles and break up counterattacks. You know, he's got... I'd say pretty much everything you want from a midfielder at his level. Um, the only thing I worry about with him is whether or not his first touch is good enough for the Premier League yet. Um, because I just that's somewhere where he just really does need to sharpen up compared to the rest of his game. But once he has that, and once he has you know more experience, getting used to 
um, the pace and the physicality of um, sort of men's Premier League football, um, I think he could be the first player ahead of Jezrin Rakzaki that we see seriously make an impact um, in our Premier League season. Because I think Rakzaki probably will go out on loan at some point in this season. Plus, I think David Ozo we may see um, towards the end of the year getting a good run of games in. Yeah, for sure. Like Rex, uh, Ozo, you don't have to rush into a loan move, to be fair. Uh, he's still so young, so it's not as big an issue. But yeah, yeah I think Rex Zaki, he's, the fact that he was so good at a League One side, you've got to be getting him to a division above, see if he can do it. And then if he can, then you integrate him next season or something. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, especially with, um, you know, Elise almost certainly having left by that point next year. <laughs> um, you'd sort of hope that you know, preparing Raksaki to assume the responsibility that Elise holds at the moment as our starting right winger. Potentially, Franca could be that player by then as well. You know, you really hope um, to see him grow in the way he influences the team by the end of this year. Yeah, he looks he looks raw potential there. He looks like he can take on a player. And yeah, as you said earlier, we're spending a lot of money on him. So, you know, even if he's not going to be starting for us uh, from the start, you want to see him have a little bit of an impact here and there. Maybe if we need to get a goal or something, you bring him on, see if he can do it. But yeah, exciting times, I think, if we can get that deal over the line. Yeah. Um, I'm going to move on to a couple more um, pieces of news um, that have been circling around. Uh, Vicente Guaita. <laughs> um, obviously, our starting goalkeeper for four or so years. Um you know, he's really well liked by the fans and kind of been forced out by the arrival of Johnson. Eventually, eventually, you know, um, Vieira didn't seem to want to drop him, but Roy came in, uh, then he picked up an injury and it sort of fizzled out for him. Uh, and now, obviously, he hasn't traveled um, to America to do preseason with the squad. Despite being fully fit, he's just straight up refusing to, to travel with us at the moment. Uh, and refusing to play for us so it's not a not a good um situation there it's clear he wants to leave uh and we've been linked with Getafe's David Soria um as a replacement on a 12 million pound uh release clause or 12 million euros rather I was just wondering what you thought about that whole situation if you thought David Soria would be a worthy um replacement especially considering that money yeah it's kind of crazy like a year ago we had three top goalies, and then we even had to rely on Whitworth during a couple of games, even though we had three goalies, Butland, Johnson, and Geiter. I know Johnson yeah. went on loan. Uh, sorry, Butland went on loan, but you know, to see it now, and to be fair to Geiter, he's been great for us, somewhat of a cult hero with some of the saves he made. But when Absolutely. he was in the team last season, you could see that there were some parts of his game that were definitely digressing. Um, handling was so poor he seemed to have a bit of fear if he was in the six yard box and he was going to get challenged I don't know he, he never seemed to come out of his line if a corner was um, coming in and it was a bit closer to goal and I really think we need that in the Premier League you need that goalie who can just command his area yeah. come out for the ball you know grab it take it off whoever's going to try and challenge for it we just didn't have that from Gaia towards the end and to be fair to him he's 36 now don't really mind him going back to Spain get a bit of money for him and you know I, I don't know for as skint as we are then p 
personally, you probably would have kept Goodwin. I know I'm probably being so hypocritical now, <laughs> saying we need to give these players <laughs> loans. But when it comes to goalie, we've actually done quite well the last few seasons, making sure we've got cheap players who can make it in the Premier League. And I guess Palace have got that with Soria. That's what the vibe they're getting. So I'm not too fussed, really. Very happy yeah. with Johnston in goal. And I'm happy that Rory gave him his chance. That really pleased me that he didn't go back to a favour of his. Yeah, I mean, it's clear we do need to invest, you know, with Guaita seemingly off, Elise in a sort of limbo, um, Zaha's departure, Lama and Francois won't cut it. Uh, we've been linked with Eddie Nketiah, um, as well as Chelsea's Lewis Hall. Um, I think if we were, we were to sign Hall, he'd be playing more as a left-back than a centre-mid, but he could sort of cover e- either option. Um, and Nketiah would probably become our starting striker, but the fee that Arsenal want for him is extortionate. Um, so we probably have to sell one of our strikers, most likely Mateta, uh, to accommodate for that. So I was just wondering what you thought of those two links. So for me, Lewis Hall, I did actually, again, don't know how true it is, but I did, just get, I did get told that we're in for him. Um, he ticks so many boxes for us. He can play left wing, he can play left back, he can play centre mid. Played nine times for Chelsea last season in the Premier League. Looked good. Looked much better than Cucurella, which is not saying much, to be fair, because he is shocking. But, you know, to come in and do that. And I was really impressed by the glimpses I saw of him last season as well. And bearing in mind, he's only 18 years old. So if we could somehow, you know, sneak a loan to buy on him, I'd love that. I'd love it so much. But Nketi is a sticky one, isn't it? He performed well before he needed a contract. But we saw Benteke did the same thing before he needed a contract at Palace when he got 10 goals in Roy's last season. Um, I think there's definitely a player there in Nketiah. For me, I don't know how much he could be good for us as a lone striker. It's easier when you're a lone striker for Arsenal, isn't it? You've got that abundance of creativity. But Nketiah's going to have to do a lot of the work on his own. And I think we don't know if he can. We don't know if he can hold it up. It's exactly the issues we had with Edward. He's a great finisher, but when he's sometimes the lone striker, he doesn't get into the game enough. He can't battle the defenders enough, and it's an issue. So it feels a bit like Nketi would be a bit like for like with Edward, so to speak. So I don't know, especially for the money he's on. I think it's just too big a risk for Palace to take to get him. I'm sure there's better options out there for cheaper. Yeah. Well, with all that in mind, um, and with, you know, assuming that we will make at least a few more signings before the window is up, where do you see us finishing at the end of the season? <laughs> wow. Um, that is such a hard question because, honestly, it's typical Palace. They could flourish against one team and get yeah. thrashed by another. But I'm going to say a 13th. I think around there I'm expecting. I mm-hmm. think, to be fair to Roy Hodgson, his top 10 ambitions were probably before Zaha left. And he probably thought we'd have it. And probably before the Elisa injury, do you know what I mean? So And the not... Mitchell injury and the Hughes oh, injury. Yep. How did I forget about them? But yeah, so to, for me, 13th, and I hate that I'm going to say this, but I'd take it right now. Yeah, no, it's scary, um, you know, because our players have been kind of told that we'll be aiming for top half, aiming, for, you know, there, we, there were talks of Europe aspirations at the start of last season. Um, and now we're looking at accepting a 13 place finish as something that's good for the club you know yeah. we've we've declined in terms of fan optimism and in terms of um our plan i think 
um, we're just not in the same place we were a year or even two years ago. Uh, it feels like we're back to where we were. It feels like the start of 1920, to be honest. Yeah. It's weird. It's really weird um, how quick things can turn. Uh, but I guess losing Zaha was always going to have that effect. And it's now all about how we recover uh, and bounce back. Um, I am going to say there's not as good of a standard of opposition this season. Yeah. Although that could come back to bite me. So, <laughs> yeah, 12th, 13th, around there. Um, I'll say 12th just to paint myself as a little bit more optimistic. <laughs> but um, I won't be surprised if we finish, you know, anywhere between there and 16th. Yeah, it's it's a really weird one. And to be honest, when you look at the teams around us or all the teams in the division, you're seeing a lot of good owners and a lot of bad owners, to be fair. You're looking at Wolves, mm. they're... Wolves and Everton, they're really, really getting kind of crucified for what they've done years before us. So you can see a bit of the FFP angle from our board. Um, but then, you know, you see some of the teams around us spending big. So it's it's really weird. And we know it's not always about the money. You're going to go to Luton on a Friday night. They're going to get so many Friday night games on TV on Monday nights, just like we've been getting at Sellers Park. And that's going to be an atmosphere that's going to frustrate a lot of opposition teams and they could get some points out of it so it's interesting it's going to be another dogfight in the Premier League I think for a lot of teams mm. yay <laughs> it, 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 it's tough being a Palace fan um, I, I, I've tried you know it was very exciting being a Palace fan during the Vieira era and that sort of trailed off and as much as the results improved with um, Hodgson I feel like the optimism for the future declined um, and when you support a club like Palace, not having the future to look forward to, not having uh, a plan to get behind and a vision to get behind or a project, it's a lot harder to support your team with that, um, you know, that love and that um, power that Palace fans would traditionally support our club with. So Yeah, I think look, a lot of our players who are, who we know are good are getting linked away. I think if we can stay up this season, if we can get that next managerial appointment perfect, which is very hard for Palace, then I do think in a couple of years we could be on to big things. I know that's but so we've annoying. heard that so many times. We heard it with Vieira. We heard it. I with think it's different. I Frank think it's DeBoer. different. I know what you're saying there, but I do. Yeah. I just think if now that we're actually gonna be getting sales, I don't care if it's only 35 mil for Elise, but we're gonna be getting profit. You've got to hope that that's gonna just be a spinning cycle now i know i'm being hopeful and on my twitter i'm definitely not that optimistic a person but you know you've got to hang on to the hope that we're doing all this because it it will be successful for us in a couple years that first fiera window was a taste of what great football life was like you know spending what 80 mil and all the signings working out and you just got to hope that they've got a plan in place soon (laughs) Well, I think I think we have a plan in place. I think soon, um, maybe the part where where your hopes collapse a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think once the stand is complete, we will see our spending rival that of um, Fulham uh, and Bournemouth and Villa a little bit more. Villa maybe less so, but Brighton definitely. Um, you know, once we have a stadium where we're bringing in that much more revenue, we should be good. We know from the John Texter interview last week that. 
um, people don't want to sell um, their shares in the club right now because it's gained so much value and they can see it gaining more value. So people definitely expect our value to increase. So there must be something convincing them of that. Uh, and that's got to be Parrish's plan. So, you know, um, if the stadium's going to add that much value um, and whatever we're hoping to achieve um, has convinced, you know, the smartest people uh, at our club to get behind it, then I can hold out a little bit more um, yeah. for for the promises of Steve Parrish. Yeah, I get you. And at the end of the day, Parrish has done so much for us. Absolutely. But he, he took us over with absolutely no Premier League business experience. So the fact that he overspent when we were looking like we were going to get relegated, it actually isn't that much of a shock. And the fact that it's taken us maybe eight to ten years to be like we've got to actually have a bit more of a project i understand it to an extent i'm not like mm. saying what he's doing is right but you look at the teams that come up from the championship now they all have five-year plans to stay uh, to stay in the premier league and make themselves a good premier league side that's when they're in the championship our five-year plan when we got promoted was to just make sure we don't get administrated again we came up at an absolutely crazy time we shouldn't have come up when we did based on what happened to us two, three years prior. And I think it took us much longer than teams now to do that. And I think now Parrish's inexperience has shown a little bit and hopefully he can get this stand done and maybe pass on the chalice to someone who can be trusted but still keep an eye on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we haven't finished higher than we did in those first two seasons. Yeah. I can't say anything to that, man. Like, that's what I'm saying. You know, I know, I know. His it's, inexperience it's is definitely played this a little bit. I don't think it's an experience. I was listening to his um, appearance on Jake Humphrey's podcast and he says he's definitely picked it up as he's gone along. I think I think we probably got really, really lucky um, staying in the Premier League this long. I don't definitely, think it's down yeah. to competence that much. You know, we got lucky with the quality of opposition early on and we um, hung on by the skin of our teeth in 15-16 despite the promising start. If you look at the players in the squads back then, like it's a miracle we were in the, we stayed in the Premier League, um, and like our squad in uh, you know 2019, 2020, those seasons, it's a miracle we stayed up as well because um, <laughs> we just did not have any players other than Wilfred Zaha. We just did, you know, one Bissaka yeah. left, and we had Wilfred Zaha, Jordan Ayew, and Chris, and a completely out of form Christian Benteke. We scored like 32 goals in 2019-20. Yeah, it is, it is a bit surreal. And yeah, of course I'm saying about him experience, but yeah, you're definitely right. He he has got some things wrong that he's got wrong because of the choices he's made. That's not to do with his inexperience. I think there is a bit of um, complacency at Palace at the moment. And we've seen that with teams like Southampton and look what's happened, you know? Mm. See, I'm I, I'm wary of saying there's complacency. I think I'm gonna try and round it up. Um, I think we definitely have ambitions, but I don't know if we necessarily have the people to achieve them. Uh, yeah. You know, in terms of ownership, in terms of our scouting team, you know, Doogie Friedman's done an excellent job, but I don't know if our um, team or resources are as extensive as anybody else who's been in the Premier League as long as we have been. Um, we don't want to bet too much on young players because we saw how that backfired for Southampton and it could backfire for Bournemouth this season. But at the same time, 
if we focus too much on experience, we risk becoming what we were under Roy Hodgson the first time. And all of a sudden we've got this huge, you know, 2021 esque situation again. Um, So it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. And I don't want to leave a podcast saying, well, you know, we don't know, (laughs) but the truth is circling back to the beginning, there isn't much transparency at Crystal Palace Football Club, and the best we can do is just have faith in our ownership team to pull us through yet another season of Premier League football, an outstanding <laughs> achievement, and hopefully guide us towards the next level that's promised. Thank you very much, Luke, for um, coming on the Palace Whip podcast. You've been an that's outstanding right, guest. Um, would you like to plug any of your socials? or Yeah, um, Yeah. well, my Twitter's at Luke underscore Seychelle. And I also run a podcast called Toto Football, which we'll be doing a weekly Palace show with another Palace fans. So that'll be fun. But yeah, it's been a pleasure being on this. And yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with Palace. But let's try and enjoy it whilst we can. <laughs> God knows if I'll be able to this season. We'll see how everything turns out against Sheffield on opening day. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you next time.